0: Hopefully not while I'm driving. Well, the temptation when you're going through a series in Proverbs, um, at least especially in the old days, was can you find the Gospel in the book of Proverbs? How ignorant a question that was. And I'm sure I would ask a question like that years ago. No, I'm not going to divert from the book of Proverbs Perhaps we might be surprised by how much gospel is in, after all, wisdom literature and what can be more wisdom than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we turn to the book of Proverbs. Much of Proverbs certainly can be exposited verse by verse, but there are certainly many topics in this wisdom literature. And... It is a more topical thought about the Gospel of Proverbs that we're considering this afternoon. Proverbs. And uh, the text I'd like us to consider is in chapter uh, 15 and verse 24. But there are many texts that answer the question, how do we deal with our sin and our guilt? Chapter 15 and verse 24, for instance. Oh, thank you. For those of you just listening in, we're turning to the book of Proverbs, considering the subject, the gospel of Jesus Christ, in this book. Chapter 15 and verse 24. Reads, the way of life is above to the wise that he may depart from hell beneath. Indeed, throughout the Old Testament, you have the teaching of heaven and hell and the gospel of grace versus the uh, false gospel of works righteousness. And one of the most intriguing questions of gospel challenge in Proverbs is in chapter 20. <clears throat> Wonder how we answer that question as we read it. Perhaps you read a proverb for each day of the month, since there are 31. It's been a practice of mine uh, for a long time. And on the 20th of each month, we would read this question How do we answer this? Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. There are several ways that that could be answered. But I trust that in Christ we can answer it. I am and I have in Christ. So there's no surprise that the in wisdom literature that the wisdom of the gospel is found. And we understand the Bible is primarily for the sanctification of the believer. But it also is a book for the salvation for an unbeliever. And A very applicable verse for you and me if we're we're believers is found in 1130. He that winneth souls is wise. And I understand that you can win uh, saved people as well as lost people. We're to win one another. We're to be our brother's keeper. and We're to be iron sharpening iron for the edification of each other. But certainly it applies for uh, evangelizing the lost. If you read Proverbs and studied, you'll find that um, there's a comparison between the righteous and the wicked and between the wise and the fool. But especially between the righteous and the wicked, over 80 times you have the word uh, righteous and the word wicked. Actually, wicked is, is even more than that. Now, we th- Sometimes we think that, that the word wicked means really bad people. But in the Scriptures, the wicked are simply the opposite of the righteous. The righteous are those who are just, a synonym, or justified. In other words, in the New Testament language, they are saved people. They are those who have been declared righteous because of the work of Christ. But the wicked are not simply saying that they really do wicked things. It's it's saying they're not justified. They're condemned. That's another parallel to those who are righteous. In other words, they're not saved. We think of wicked people as murderers, adulterers, but to the Lord, a wicked person is simply someone who's never been regenerate, who's rejected the gospel of Christ, and who are proud, who are... Uh, self-righteous. And so you have many examples. And remember the three kinds of parallelism in in wisdom literature in the Old Testament. In Hebrew is not like English where you have mostly rhyme. Uh, If you have rhyme in the Old Testament, translations it's probably by accident. Though there are word plays in the Hebrew that rhyme, you'll find, if you read the Hebrew, but... Mostly it's parallelism. And you have, remember, the antithetic parallelism is the opposite. Um, The the, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You also have what's called synthetic parallelism where it adds to the thought of the previous point. Um, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and His children shall have a place of refuge. The second statement kind of... Adds is added. It's a result of the fear of the Lord, and then of course you have the the synonymous parallelism where they're saying the same thing. There, there, there's no opposite and there's no addition. It's really uh, uh, it's parallel. It's 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 saying something similar. Um, I didn't write down an example of that, but. Uh, There are many such. And if I think of one and and I quote one, I'll I'll make that um, comment. But for instance, we read in chapter 11 and verse 19, His righteousness is to life, so he that pursueth evil pursueth it to to his own death. So you see the Gospel truth in that text. 12.7 The wicked are overthrown and are not, but the, the, the house of the righteous shall stand. Or, a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. So you see the contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And so again, the Gospel challenge, who can say I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. And we might answer, A, no one can. But we understand that's outside Christ and before Christ. We might answer, secondly, not by works. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's Christ's works. It's His righteousness. But in Christ, you and I can say, I, my heart is clean. I am pure from my sin. So, in Proverbs, the righteous are actually those who are in the state of being righteous. Um, they're not righteous because of our works. They're right. They've been declared righteous. They're in God's eyes His children. They're believers, and the wicked are not. Now, obviously, the wicked can be converted, and uh, that certainly is something that the Bible teaches. And even certainly in the Book of Proverbs, for instance, "He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but he that confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy." So the Lord gives hope in the book of Proverbs. It doesn't just say that the wicked are hopeless, uh, period. But there are texts that indicate that you can can change from being wicked, unjustified, to being justified if before you die, you trust in the wisdom of the Gospel. So how do we deal with our sin and our guilt? That's a question that is, is a good introductory question when speaking with someone. Even someone who says, well, I don't believe in God. Well, what do you do with your guilt? Do you have no guilt? No sin? Are you just trying to, to uh, assuage it by uh, your good works, by your wishful thinking? Oh, that we might be active in, in uh, evangelism. I would pray for help. Paul cautions Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. And that's something that sometimes ministers can neglect because of our preoccupation with feeding the flock. But we need to start with sin's fact and realization. You know about the seven deadly sins from chapter 6 and verse 16. Someone has to recognize that we are fallen creatures. Did, did we continue in our first estate? No, we fell in Adam, didn't we? We sinned. In him and fell with him in his first transgression, but um, all transgressions that that uh, flow from that fall, from that original sin, are very clearly indicative of the fact that we need to be saved. And uh, what a, a a terrifying list, isn't it? In chapter six, beginning with verse number. Uh, 16, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination to Him. And you know, the seven, the number seven has to do with completion. It's, he's, he's given us a, a representative list that obviously everything in between is included. But notice the very first one. You think, what would be the first deadly sin? Someone would say, well, certainly murder or adultery. Or something really bad, but it's a proud look, a proud look. So let us not look down our nose at those who re- do really bad things, because God hates pride, and He hates, and we should hate pride first in ourselves. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among brethren. Interestingly, it it really does begin with the first table of the law. What is a proud look? Is that not idolatry? Worship of self instead of worshiping God. But the Lord points out especially um, lies and deceit. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Which one of us can say we've never lied? Just telling one lie, we become liars and culpable to God's wrath. And throughout the book of Proverbs, you have the fact of sin and the definition of sin. In the multitude of words, for instance, there wanteth not sin. The sins of the tongue and of pride. The mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. That's his diet. The bread of deceit. Chapter 4 and verse 17. Wasn't that our diet before we were converted? We just continued to sin and sin and sin. We were sinners. We sinned because we were sinners. A furious man aboundeth in transgression. One of of the um, topics that we find quite... uh, Prevalent in Proverbs is the sin of fury, of of unrighteous anger. And it's a very good book to study this topic if we have a problem with anger. The Bible says, be slow to speak, swift to hear, I mean slow to speak, and and, uh, I'm sorry, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. A furious man aboundeth in transgression. And adultery is found, especially in the early part of the book, we find in the first nine chapters, much emphasis on simply listening. There's very little instruction until about chapter 10. There's still instruction in the first nine chapters. But the main instruction in the first nine chapters is, get in a listening position. Hear, O my son. Over eight times we're told to listen. And that's something we as parents, especially parents with younger children, we need to keep in mind that until our children are listening, they're never going to get the point. They're never going to learn. And that's still the case with you and me as believers. Before we even start reading the Bible each morning or noon or, after, or an evening, we should pray, Lord, help me to listen now. We, we get in the habit of reading, but we can be perfunctory. There needs to be a listening as far as our hearts are concerned. And and a a main sin that is instructed to younger people, especially in the first nine chapters, as you know, the sin of adultery, the strange woman that draws uh, the unsuspecting person and therefore over and over listen because the strange woman multiplies those that she infects. And her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. One of the most terrorizing verses that we read, is it not, is she, she, not, she doesn't just get the weak, she gets the strong man. And many have been wounded by her, many strong men have been wounded. It's not just the weak that fall to the sin of adultery, fornication, pornography. The devil doesn't just go after the weak, although it's true that you see a film of predators are looking for the the stray, the, the weak, the young, which is also true. But the devil is not just like the beast out that we're looking in the film. He's looking for the strong because he knows if the strong fall, many more crumble behind who are following. And so may God help us our prayer is that the Lord would make us strong believers, but at the same time, therefore, we should be praying, "Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one." So there's a two-edged sword there. We are to be strong in the Lord, but then we're going to be, the, we're going to be the marked people. We're going to have a target on our back as far as the wicked one is concerned. And the Bible speaks of sins in the city or the sin city, where there's a multitude of lost sinners, there's going to be an increase in sin. Chapter 29, and verse 16, if the wicked are multiplied, transgression increases. And so public sins increase wherever wicked people congregate. And so it should not be a surprise that there is much sin in the city. And so the fact of sin is something that we're really <coughs> taught over and over again. It just is... is uh, pounded into us in the book of Proverbs. I can understand if a person denies he's a sinner, he's not going to want to read the book of Proverbs. Because over and over again, we're convinced, I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I need a Savior. I have guilt that only can be removed by the sacrifice. But not only is is, is the fact of sin taught, but even total depravity. Remember that verse in chapter 21, verse 4? Even the plowing of the wicked is sin. Remember someone saying, come on, just the innocent plowing of a person is sin? Doesn't he have to make a living by plowing? Isn't he doing a good thing, working by the sweat of his face? But the Bible teaches that even the indifferent, benign actions of the lost are sin before God. Even our eating and drinking is sin. The Bible says to you and me, whether therefore you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, the wicked cannot do anything to the glory of God. Anyone who's unjust, even plowing, even working his eight-hour shift, is sin. It's not to the glory of God. God is not in all their thoughts and plans. The Bible speaks of the breach of the first table in the book of Proverbs, like the proud look, like uh, warning you and me not to envy sinners, but be in the fear of the Lord all the day long. they're not in the fear of the Lord all the day long, they can sin because they do not respect God, they are insulting him and the second table, especially is is uh the breach of the second table, especially is revealed in the book of proverbs sin is a despising of our neighbor chapter 14 21 sin is when we rob parents of their due and by the way one of the things that are due our parents is uh, we find often in proverbs is the, the mother and the father that are grieved over a foolish child our parents mental state is our responsibility we're to set our parents at ease and And I can remember how my parents were so uneasy before I was converted, Uh, shocked when they when they caught me inebriated. And I just I I grieved. I told you my mother had lost her hair; she was wearing wigs. And when I was converted at 18 in West Virginia, she was on my mind when I was repenting of my sin. And I said, "Oh God, would you please save my mother?" And and uh, she began to grow her hair after I was converted and got rid of her wigs. And uh, she got saved. And I believe she's with the Lord now and I can't wait to see her one day soon. The Bible warns us about covering our sins. And that's found uh, in chapter 10, verse 12. Or I'm sorry, uh, we, if we cover our sins, chapter 28, uh, we won't receive mercy. What we should cover is the sins of others and be, un, and be forgiving, be quick to forgive. And we find that uh, text as the precept of the uh, second table of the law. Love covers all sins. Uh, sin seeks to, to, to cover the transgression of our neighbor. It's the glory to pass over a transgression, chapter 19. Oh, if all of us could be so quick to forgive. Love uh, it's, remember chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We should not be so quick to, to listen. Certainly not to slander, but to how, how often we perk up our ears when we hear, did you hear that so and so? We should be so quick to not believe. If we want to know if that's true, if it's none of our business, don't tell me it. But I want to be willing, first of all, to not believe that my brother or sister's fallen. But if I do discover that, then I'm right there to seek for them to find repentance and for me to give forgiveness. And the guilt of of the lost is so prevalent as well in Proverbs. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. It reminds me of the story of someone that was running from the law and his coat got stuck on barbed wire and he put up his arms and he said, I didn't do anything. and he's just caught on barbed wire. We just live one day after another under the guilt and weight of our sins. Oh, brother and sister, let's plunge into the fountain of, 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 the, of, of the blood of Christ, the fountain open for sin and uncleanness. Let's not live another moment in sin Let us know that there is forgiveness with the Lord. So, where do I take my sin? The fool makes a mock at the sin offering we're told in chapter 14. Chapter 14 and verse 9 reads, Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. The word sin there is translated trespass offering throughout the book of Leviticus. It's translated in In Isaiah 53, thou wilt make his soul an offering for sin. The the words offering for sin um, is the same word translated sin here. It's the sin offering. Now what this is saying is, Chapter 14 and verse 9: Fools make a mock at sin. The word "sin offering" is found there, and this is saying at least one of two, or maybe it's it's it, it it's referring to several things. As sometimes can be can be. Uh, what am I trying to say? That some passages are are meant to be to be versatile, but it could mean f- fools think nothing of sinning. Fools make a mock at sin. It might be the first thing that we think about. But maybe it's really saying fools despise God's provision of the sacrificial system, of the way of, of dealing with our sins. How often we, as we read of the Jews that, that speak of the cross as being uh, a stumbling block and the Gentiles speak of Calvary as um, foolishness. But nonetheless, we often find lost people thinking nothing about sinning, uh, guffawing when we warn them about drunkenness or unbelief or the fear of man. And certainly, you've met people that despise the cross. How can we be saved by the death of a man who's been nailed to a tree? But if you only knew who that man was, the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, He's none other than the Son of God who's become incarnate for us. Oh, if if, if it if it costs if Jesus, the Son of God, had to die to save me from hell, how can I ever expect to find clemency with God to die to dare to die without Him? Chapter sixteen, verse six says, by the by, mercy and truth. Iniquity is purged. Here's where I take my sin. The word mercy is covenant mercy, covenant love, covenant loyalty. My sin is purged. The word purge speaks of the appeasement of wrath, of God's anger. In other words, my sin is appeased because Christ, the Father and the Son, covenanted together by the incarnation of the Son to save my soul. And so I'm saved not by a random act of God, I'm saved by His covenant plan. His plan to save me because He chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. Isn't it wonderful to not be saved capriciously, but to be saved intentionally by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? It was not a surprise to God. This was not plan B that Jesus died in my place. Jesus was not hanging on to the rafters of heaven when He was to come here and to become a man and to die. Jesus willingly died. But it does not surprise us, though, in the garden that He's cringing to have to suffer the stroke of God's justice. He was a man, a real man. But yet, that He could pray. And how few times do I pray when I'm under such stress. Yet, nevertheless, not my will, but Thine be done." or are saved by God's covenant loyalty. There was no other way. If there could be any other way that this cup should pass, will you let it pass and let me find another way? And the father was saying, No, there is no other way. No other way. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the genius of God. Isn't it? And then that horrible passage in chapter 7, verse 14 Whereby inference, we read about sacrifices and offerings. The, the strange woman gives a religious reason to commit adultery. We're told in seven fourteen, as she as she uh, deceives someone to fall into the sin of adultery. She she says, "I have peace offerings with me this day. Have I paid my vows?" In other words, in our way of Saying, I've gone to church today. I've given money into the offering. I've gone to confession. I've given offerings. And the peace offering was to be taken home by the offerer. The priest received some. Remember, the sin offering was wholly given up to God. But the peace offering was God's way of showing the sinner that he was forgiven. And then they took some food home and they ate to say... I'm fellowshipping with God on this on this this uh, peace offering. I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here she was almost offering the meat to this man. What hypocrisy that she, like the adulteress in chapter 30, she wipes her mouth and says, I have done no Ill, 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 Ill evil. And yet we find that adulterers and adulteresses have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. What a liar. Well, let us never use religion as an excuse for our sins. And how often we use this excuse perhaps, I know what I'm going to do is sin, but I'll confess it after it happens. Isn't that so often our reasoning? We deceive ourselves, don't we? But what it's teaching is that I can take my sin to Calvary. I know that I'll be forgiven if I plead the blood of Christ. I know that there's a fountain open for sin and uncleanness. You can't read the book of Proverbs without reading about the fact of sin, the guilt of sin, but that there's a way for our sins and our guilt to be removed. And even the fruit of our forgiveness of sins is throughout the book of Proverbs. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. The fear of the Lord and and departing from our sins, the strength to say no and to mortify the deeds of the flesh is a fruit of forgiveness. If we harbor our sins, we find no mercy. But if we confess and, notice, forsake, it's not this this vicious cycle. And this happened so many years. I would sin and go to confession on Saturday night. I would confess, but I never forsook my sins. I didn't have the power to forsake my sins. I was continuing to confess them, but of course I would leave out the really bad ones or the ones that were most embarrassing I would, I would keep in my heart. And yet, I never knew the power of forgiveness and forsaking of my sins. Chapter 21 and verse 3 is also an interesting and really uh, uh, intriguing and thought-provoking text twenty one verse three a high look and a proud heart and the ploughing of the I'm sorry verse three to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. What is he saying? He says away if you're just going through the motions of religion and your heart is not in it. In other words we're being taught this that spiritual reality versus external rituals is is something that God requires. He wants our hearts He tells us, does He not, not just circumcise the flesh in the Old Testament, but Jeremiah stressed the circumcision of the heart. Oh, that God would give us a heart for Him. But so often we're we're satisfied with the external rituals. I've been to church. I've given my tithe. I've said my prayers. I've read my Bible. But yet my heart is far from the Lord. Let's pray for a heart for God. And a heart for God will be shown by a desire to hate our sins and to depart from them. And then, of course, throughout the book of Proverbs, Proverbs, you have all the right, the wise righteousnesses being taught about how our life is to be shown in Christ, like a soft answer that turns away wrath, and like those who receive rebukes and are not those that hate those who. Uh, Correct them. You know, those are challenges, aren't they? So often what we remember is people that have rebuked us and we have spite toward that. It's an, I, can, I can still, if I bring them up, I try not to bring them up, but as I go through texts about receiving rebuke, I can still remember the, the sting of people that had to face me about my sin. And I despise them at first. And sometimes I harbored bitterness in my heart. But as I read the Bible, those are the people I need to love. Aren't they? The people that faced me. look What they were really doing is, I want you right with God. I want you to walk with God. I want you to have a peace of conscience. And I want your guilt removed. And that's the wisdom that's taught in Proverbs. And that's the fruit of a person who's been justified that we listen to correction. Were swift to hear, and I know there are many other examples. But the believers, the fruit of being a believer, is the desire to have the level of thinking that God has. In chapter sixteen, in verse two, another thought-provoking text: "All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits." Wow, what a text! I'm okay. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man. That's our level of thinking. We don't see the sinfulness of sin, the deepness of our guilt. We often, when we can't forgive others, we're only looking on the horizontal. We're not looking at the vertical. Like the parable of the, of the servant that was forgiven so much, but he turns around and throttles the neck of his fellow servant whose sin in comparison so, so less. And so I want our, we need to pray, Lord, let our level of thinking be Yours. In other words, the adulteress says she's done no wickedness. She wipes her mouth afterwards. But the reality is her house is the way to hell going down to the chambers of death. And we need to have a level of thinking that, Lord, let me think the way You think about this. Our thinking about our sin is so... we, we, we excuse our sin. It's not all that bad. But it was bad enough to put Jesus on the cross. That's bad. Let us always remain in the shadow of the cross and we'll have the right level of thinking toward ourselves and toward our sins. Proverbs over and over gives us the judgment of sin. Chapter 15 and verse 8. It says, the prayer of the upright is God's delight. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to God. In other words, if their sacrifice is an abomination, what they they plead is their substitute. What shall be the reality of who they are when they die? The Bible tells us over and over again that the wicked shall be cut off and rooted out of the earth. They'll, they'll receive desolation at the end. They won't inhabit the earth. They will not go unpunished. Chapter eleven, desolation and destruction. Chapter one, all that hate me hate or all that hate me love death. Isn't that a text that reminds us of First John and and John chapter three? The wickedness shall overthrow the sinner. That's found three times in the book of Proverbs. Evil pursueth sinners. It's like the, it's like the slayer, the the, the slayer of blood, the manslayer is chasing us until we get to the city of refuge. But if we fall short of the city of refuge, we'll be slain by the manslayer, the law of God. Destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. But you know, 1 Peter 4.18 is paralleled in chapter 11 of Proverbs verse 31. Especially by the The Greek translation of the Old Testament. Remember the Septuagint. But in chapter 11, verse 31, of Proverbs we read, Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth, much more the wicked and the sinner. And notice how it parallels actually where Peter must have been uh, thinking of this text and quoting it when he writes in his first epistle, chapter four and verse eighteen, aren't these some some, uh, some ominous words in the New Testament? First Peter four verse eighteen: If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly? And the sinner appear. I should have remembered, read verse 17. The time to come, the judgment has come, must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous with difficulty is the idea, be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? And I think what Proverbs is saying is that the, the righteous will be dealt with in this life for their sins verse 31 and how much more are the wicked and the sinner not only in this life but the life to come like Peter says if you and I are not getting away with our sin if God who loves us chastens us how much more will the wicked receive judgment especially if they die without Christ so sin's judgment is found over and over again in Proverbs but I can't end there as we're observing the Lord's Supper and remembering Christ at Calvary, the Proverbs tells us about eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. It's life for a look to the Savior. The way of, of, of life is above to the wise. We have the hope of eternal life. You and I have the hope when we die that we'll be with Christ. I was reading Andrew Bonner diary the other day, and and he likened the, the difference between the saved and the lost in this way. He said, if you're lost and you die, it's like a prisoner that is in prison. His liberties are all deprived. And the next thing he waits is to stand before the judge. He's in constant dread his whole time that he's in Hades. But the believer, when he dies, is like going to a huge banquet that is hosted by our Lord Jesus Christ. And before we get to the banquet table, before we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're meeting all the guests that the host has invited. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if we die even today? We'll get to meet believers from Adam all the way to Don, who from Baptist Church in Collins just died the other day. Godly old Don. His last name was about 15 letters. could never pronounce it. But he was a a godly, joyful man. To know that blessed is the man that heareth me, waiting at my gates, watching at my doors. Whoso findeth me findeth life, and it shall obtain favor of the Lord. And then, how can we forget the godly woman? A woman that feareth the Lord. She shall be praised. You think that's merely referring to in this life? Oh, you know, like like Whitfield said about Wesley, you heard that that statement that someone said to Whitfield, You don't think we'll see Mr Wesley in heaven, do you? And of course the gracious Mr Whitfield said, No, I don't think so and and he said, I won't I'll be so far from the from the front. That I'll not get to see Mr Wesley. But do you know, I think that the first thousand rows will be in the the anonymous women who serve the Lord, who follow Christ and his and his apostles and, and ministered unto him unto them of their substance. And about the, the quiet, virtuous, godly women in our homes who have who have shut out the world, who says who asked, you have what's your what's your line of business? Do you have a job? I mean, can you imagine the insult that so many of our, our mothers and our wives have, have endured all these years? And you will be in the front rows because the Lord says, a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Jesus stood to greet Stephen when he was dying. And I don't know and I don't think He's going to stand for for everyone perhaps that will go into heaven but I believe there are many women that Jesus will stand for to greet into heaven, who've trusted His blood for their salvation, and have and have been like like fish swimming upstream against the current of materialism and, and the sexual revolution, and women who have forsaken um, bearing children and raising children for the glory of God. I know preachers that won't marry, won't conduct the wedding of 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 couples that don't plan on having children, if they are able to have children. And that's a correct position because we're to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Thank God for our virtuous mothers and pray that our children will marry virtuous women and virtuous men. Thank God that the Gospel is replete in the book of Proverbs because it's the great wisdom of God for the salvation of our souls.